European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 45, Issue 2. Focus Issue, Epidemiology, Prevention and Healthcare Policies, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Strengths and Limitations of Risk Scores in Cardiovascular Prevention This issue opens with the state-of-the-art review article, Inflammation in Acute Myocardial Infarction, The Good, the Bad and the Ugly, by Michaela Marta and colleagues from the University Hospital Zurich in Switzerland. The authors note that convergent experimental and clinical evidence has established the pathophysiological importance of pro-inflammatory pathways in coronary artery disease. Notably, the interest in treating inflammation in patients suffering acute myocardial infarction, or AMI, is now expanding from its chronic aspects to the acute setting. Few large outcome trials have proven the benefits of anti-inflammatory therapies on cardiovascular outcomes by targeting the residual inflammatory risk, or RIR, i.e. the smouldering ember of low-grade inflammation persisting in the late phase after AMI. However, these studies have also taught us about potential risks of anti-inflammatory therapy after AMI, particularly related to impaired host defense. Recently, numerous smaller-scale trials have addressed the concept of targeting a deleterious flare of excessive inflammation in the early phase after AMI. Targeting different pathways and implementing various treatment regimens, those trials have met with varied degrees of success. Promising results have come from those studies intervening early on the interleukin-1 and 6 pathways. Taking lessons from such past research may inform an optimized approach to target post-AMI inflammation tailored to spare the good, repair and defense, while treating the bad, smoldering RIR, and capturing the ugly, flaming early bursts of excess inflammation in the acute phase. Key constituents of such a strategy may read as follows. Select patients with a large pro-inflammatory burden, i.e. large AMI. Initiate treatment early, e.g. less than or equal to 12 hours post-AMI. Implement a precisely targeted anti-inflammatory agent. And follow through with a tapering treatment regimen. This approach warrants testing in rigorous clinical trials. The issue continues with a focus on epidemiology, prevention and healthcare policies. Ischemic stroke is a devastating complication of atrial fibrillation, or AF. Risk stratification for ischemic stroke is important to identify patients who benefit from oral anticoagulation. Female sex is associated with higher rates of stroke in AF after adjustment for other chads vasque factors. In a clinical research article entitled Stroke Risk in Women with Atrial Fibrillation, Ifsa Buhari and colleagues from the University Health Network in Toronto, Canada, aim to describe sex differences in age and cardiovascular care to examine their relationship with stroke hazard in AF. In a population-based cohort study using administrative datasets of people aged greater than or equal to 66 years diagnosed with AF in Ontario between 2007 and 2019, cause-specific hazard regression 
was used to estimate the adjusted hazard ratio, or HR, for stroke associated with female sex over a two-year follow-up. Model 1 included Chad's VAS factors, with age modelled as 66 to 74 versus greater than or equal to 75 years. Model 2 treated age as a continuous variable and included an age-sex interaction term. Model 3 further accounted for multimorbidity and markers of cardiovascular care. The cohort consisted of approximately 354,000 individuals with AF, median age 78 years, 49% female. Females were more likely to be diagnosed in emergency departments and less likely to receive cardiologist assessments, statins or LDL cholesterol testing with higher LDL cholesterol levels among females than males. In Model 1, the adjusted HR for stroke associated with female sex was 1.27. Model 2 revealed a significant age-sex interaction, such that female sex was only associated with increased stroke hazard at age greater than 70 years. Adjusting for markers of cardiovascular care and multimorbidity further decreased the HR, so that female sex was not associated with increased stroke hazard at age less than or equal to 80 years. The authors conclude that older age and inequities in cardiovascular care may partly explain higher stroke rates in females with AF. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Melissa Middledorp and Rupinder Sandhu from the Schmidt Heart Institute in Los Angeles, California, USA. The authors highlight that it's important to recognise that, irrespective of effects of female sex on the risk of stroke, the stroke severity, physical disability and need for hospitalisation are higher for females who experience stroke in the setting of AF compared with males. To ultimately reduce the AF burden and adverse outcomes in females with AF, future efforts aimed at increasing public and provider awareness stroke education identifying unrecognised risk factors, understanding barriers, and implementing interventions to close care gaps are needed. Statin recommendations in primary prevention depend on risk algorithms. Moreover, with intermediate risk, risk enhancers and de-enhancers are advocated to aid decisions. In a clinical research article entitled Recommendations for Statin Management in Primary Prevention Disparities Among International Risk Scores G.B. John Mancini and colleagues from the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada sought to compare algorithms used in North America and Europe for the identification of patients warranting statin or consideration of risk enhancers or de-enhancers. A simulated population, N equaling 7,680, equal in males and females, with or without smoking, age 45 to 70 years, total cholesterol 3.5 to 7.0 millimoles per litre, HDL cholesterol 0.6 to 2.2 millimoles per litre, and systolic blood pressure, or SBP, 100 to 170 millimetres of mercury, was evaluated. High, intermediate and low risks were determined using the Framingham Risk Score, or FRS, Pooled Cohort Equation, or PCE, 
Four versions of Systematic Coronary Risk Evaluation 2, or SCORE 2, and the Multi-Ethnic Study of Atherosclerosis, or MESA, algorithm, 0 to 1,000 Agaston units. Concordance for three levels of risk varied from 19% to 85%. Both sexes might be considered to have low, intermediate or high risk, depending on the algorithm applied, even with the same burden of risk factors. Only score two, high risk and very high risk versions, identified equal proportions of males and females with high risk. Excluding MESA, the proportion of moderate risk was 25%, score 2, very high risk region, 32% FRS, 39% PCE, and 45% score 2, low risk region. Mancini et al. conclude that risk algorithms differ substantially in their estimation of risk, recommendations for statin treatment, and use of ancillary testing, even in identical patients. These results highlight the limitations of currently used risk-based approaches for addressing lipid-specific risk in primary prevention. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Lisa Penels, Emanuela Di Angelantonio and Stephen Captoga from the University of Cambridge in the United Kingdom. The authors note that a final factor to consider is that countries differ in their infrastructure and funding available to assess and treat individuals at high cardiovascular disease, or CVD, risk, and no risk threshold is universally applicable. Country-specific decisions and recommendations regarding screening strategies and treatment thresholds are therefore needed. These need to reflect the level of risk in the population and likely proportion of individuals who might be recommended treatment. Furthermore, decision to initiate interventions also remains a matter of individual consideration and shared decision-making. Hence, variations in guideline recommendations across populations should be expected, and comparison of different guideline-recommended approaches in a single dataset from one single population may not be particularly relevant. In a Rapid Communications article entitled Smoking Habit Change After Cancer Diagnosis – Effect on Cardiovascular Risk Aoki Lee and colleagues from the University College of Medicine in the Republic of Korea point out that cancer survivors are rapidly increasing. There is a need for strategies against CVD, the leading cause of death after surviving cancer. Despite the well-known adverse health effects of tobacco use, Approximately 20% of individuals diagnosed with cancer smoke persistently after the diagnosis. Yet data are scarce regarding patterns and cardiovascular consequences of post-diagnosis smoking habit change among cancer survivors. The authors assessed 309,095 cancer survivors. During a median follow-up of 5.5 years, 10,255 new CVD events occurred. The cumulative incidence of CVD events was highest among continuing smokers, followed by initiators, stroke relapsers, quitters and sustained non-smokers. When sustained non-smokers were the reference, multivariable adjusted HRs for CVD events were 1.20 among quitters, 1.51 among initiators, stroke relapsers 
and 1.86 among continuing smokers. The authors conclude that this study extends the findings from the general population to cancer survivors who may gain cardiovascular benefits from smoking cessation and be harmed by smoking initiation stroke relapse. In a Viewpoint article entitled Resistant Hypertension – Cardiorenal Protection with Mineralocorticoid Receptor Blockade Bertram Pitt from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan, USA and George Bacris from the University of Chicago in Chicago, Illinois, USA note that patients with true treatment-resistant hypertension, or TRH, i.e. failure to achieve a blood pressure of less than 130 over 80 millimeters of mercury, despite treatment with three mechanistically complementary classes of antihypertensive drugs, one of which is a thiocide-like diuretic, are at increased risk for cardiovascular events. Moreover, reduction of SBP to a target of less than 120 millimeters of mercury can reduce cardiovascular risk even in patients with stage 3 chronic kidney disease, or CKD. Many patients with TRH are older, and while serum aldosterone levels may be within normal limits compared with younger patients, there is an increased expression of the mineralocorticoid receptor, or MR. Isodium diets and the presence of CKD with high levels of albuminuria also increase MR expression. Data from preclinical and clinical studies suggest that either an increase in serum aldosterone or an increase in MR expression would expose a patient with TRH to the adverse effects of aldosterone, even if SBP is controlled, since the adverse effects of aldosterone are independent of blood pressure. Taken together, these observations demonstrate that increases in aldosterone and or MR activation, even at normal aldosterone levels, support the concept that TRH treatment involves both blood pressure control and prevention of aldosterone-mediated adverse effects. Thus, MR antagonists, or MRAs, should be included in such settings. However, as mentioned above, Spironolactone is often not prescribed to patients with TRH or is not tolerated. Consequently, many patients with TRH and CKD may achieve effective SBP lowering without addressing the prevention of the adverse effects of aldosterone. Hyperkalemia should not preclude the use of an MRA and can easily be handled by educating patients about dietary potassium increased use of long-acting loop diuretics in those with estimated glomerular filtration rate, or EGFR, less than 30 milliliters per minute, and or use of sodium glucose cotransporter 2 inhibitors, which reduce MRA-associated hyperkalemia. When these efforts fail, or if there is evidence of serum potassium greater than 5.5 milliequivalents per liter, one of two approved potassium binders, Pterima or sodium zirconium psychosilicate should be administered to sustain therapy. In another viewpoint article entitled Testosterone and Cardiovascular Health, Andrew Elagizi and colleagues from the Oxner Heart and Vascular Institute in New Orleans, Louisiana, USA, point out that the potential for testosterone therapy or TT to cause adverse cardiovascular events 
has been a topic of controversy for decades. As the sale of testosterone products skyrocketed globally, increasing from 150 million US dollars in the year 2000 to 1.8 billion US dollars in 2011, studies emerged that gained significant media attention after reporting increased cardiovascular risk with TT, but were later found to be flawed. The US Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, subsequently released a statement advising increased caution when prescribing TT, which multiple professional societies and expert consensus panels felt to be lacking scientific evidence. Despite short-term randomized controlled trials demonstrating significant improvements in cardiometabolic parameters with testosterone use, and a large meta-analysis of observational data not finding evidence of short- or medium-term increased cardiovascular risk, the evidence regarding the safety and efficacy of TT overall is conflicting, and there remains a critical need for long-term, high-quality studies. Although multiple guideline documents exist that advocate for TT in those with symptomatic deficiency, these recommendations are largely based on expert consensus and not high-quality evidence. The issue is also complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a commentary entitled, Concern regarding missed non-ST segment elevation myocardial infarctions when applying a single pre-hospital cardiac troponin measurement. Jonas Glaser, Christian Müller and Pedro López Ayala from the University of Basel in Switzerland comment on the recent publication rule-out of non-ST segment elevation acute coronary syndrome by a single pre-hospital troponin measurement, a randomized trial, by Cyril Camaro and colleagues from the Radboud University Medical Centrum. Camaro et al. respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.